The Brief Podcast. Brought to you by MEPRA and produced by the International Broadcast Specialist Marketeers. This episode will focus on the changing face of modern media, a topic we'll be exploring further in our upcoming MEPRA leadership matches on the 2nd of May at Louvre Abu Dhabi. For tickets, go to mepra.org forward slash events or email community at mepra.org. The world of media has changed. Today, we're reliant on social media and apps to receive news updates. And perhaps for a large majority of people, especially our young millennials, holding a newspaper might seem archaic. But savvy media operators haven't been sitting back and watching their print circulation numbers drop. Some have recognised the audience's hunger for mobile content and have adapted, where others have spotted a gap in the market and recognised the need for real and raw content to find a news niche and build a media empire. Today we're joined by Min Al-Arabi, Editor-in-Chief of The National, who can share how the English Daily has adapted to the changing landscape of news consumption, and also by Jason Levy, Managing Director, Middle East and Africa of Vice Media, who will discuss how content revolutionaries are breaking into the Middle Eastern market. Mina, Jason, welcome. Uh, you, uh, thanks for your time today. You both share the distinction. You've both been in post for two years, but I'm guessing it's quite a different two years for both of you. Uh, Mina, how, you've obviously come into the National, which has started, you know, just over a decade ago and taken it, taken it in different directions. How's the last two years been for you? Well, two years ago, I was preparing for the relaunch of the National. So I've been the editor-in-chief for about a year and a half, but I had four months from the day I was appointed to actually relaunch the paper, and we relaunched it on the 1st of July, 2017. And that was really interesting because I moved to Abu Dhabi. I hadn't been in Abu Dhabi, living in Abu Dhabi before. I used to visit many times. Um, I also didn't know anybody who worked at the National, so it wasn't like I had my little insider source who could tell me, this is this is what works, this is what doesn't. But in a way, that was great because it was really, for me, a blank sheet of paper. And I was given the remit by IMI, which is the company that bought the National, took over the National, to relaunch it and to make it fit for our modern era. And so what I always say is we wanted to turn the National into a 21st century newspaper. And being a 21st century newspaper, being that we still very much love our print, but how do you stay relevant to your reader or viewer, now we do much more with multimedia, or your listener with our own podcasts, whenever they pick up the national. And so that was that was quite something to do in only four months. I had a great team, um, hired a couple of people who, who came with me for the transformation, but very quickly met the people from within the national who were going to come on this journey with us. And so it was getting to know the team was the number one duty. And that was actually quite difficult because you have to interview everybody, get to know them, know who's going to stay and, and start building with them. And within four months, we relaunched it. You, you describe it with great certainty, but I'm guessing it probably, you, you perhaps were less certain about how it was going to turn out at the, at the time. I was less certain in terms of how the team would come together. Yeah. I was certain it had to be successful because my boss made it very clear it had to be successful. <laughs> so it was no, no joys. And we're semi-successful. I think we have so much more to do. But it was successful in the sense that we relaunched and we were able to deliver a newspaper that is relevant and that also reflects not only the UAE but regional development. So the idea was to take it from being very local to much more regional and also has quite an international feel for it also. So so those were clear. But you're absolutely right. You know, when you're doing it 
on a fast track in terms of time, you know, timetables, we as journalists work towards deadlines all the time, but to have a deadline like that, where you have to turn around uh, a newspaper and also, you know, think of all the logistics. So we never once stopped printing the national. We also kept the website live the entire time and we migrated, you know, overnight, had a brand new website. We had lots of glitches. Some people know about some of the glitches. Others we were able to hide (laughs) and plaster over. Um, And that was very stressful. And so really it took a year. And so, you know, you say in situ for two years, it honestly feels like only a year because the first year I didn't leave the office before midnight. Most of my, my team were the same. We hardly had weekends. And it was just because we were trying to keep everything rolling and making sure it's all coming together. And so it's only been a year where I could say, okay, I'm just lifting my head above the water to see, you know, my neighbors who are only, you know, one, one floor beneath me in terms of we're all in the 2454 building, but literally couldn't even get out and, and get to know the landscape. And if you had to pick one one thing that you you when you look back now you go you know what I wish I'd known that then because actually this has been the biggest lesson I've learned what would it what would it be wow there are so many lessons but I think the the one lesson I wish I had known was how much it would require in terms of finding the right people getting us the stories that are the exclusives. We knew it mattered, but it was really difficult to understand how we were going to get the exclusives from within the UAE in in a time where actually we have a lot of PR-driven stories. And so to weed through that and have a very clear line of what is our enterprise journalism going to look like coming from the UAE, I think it's much clearer, again, regionally, internationally, but working on enterprise journalism from the UAE, what it would take and what are the success stories. I wish I had known more about that because I hadn't spent time here. So I didn't know the media landscape as I do now. Yeah. We might come back to PR driven stories a bit later, but perhaps I could bring Jason in at this point. So Jason, Vice obviously has, you know, when people hear Vice and, and media, they're expecting kind of sensational, kind of underground, you know, news, riots. What tell me, is is that what we can expect from you? You're going to clear some some misconceptions up here. Yes, I am. And, and in terms of can expect, I mean, again, we've we've obviously been in market now and live for 18 months. So we're very much a reality. So, um, yeah, it is an important misconception to clear up and, and one we inevitably faced around launch. So there are two distinct entities globally. There's Vice News and Vice. And many people are confused too, somewhat understandably. So Vice News, incredibly hard-hitting reporting, uh, multiple award-winning, things like the Charlottesville documentary, for example, last year. Vice really started in Canada, um, in Montreal, documenting youth culture, and that remains front and centre of our mission now. So setting up in Arabia was very much recognising the demographics of the region, recognising there were stories not being told by what we would frame as traditional media, um, and it's very much about giving that youth a voice. And that's been reflected in everything from the content we've tackled to date right through to the composition of the teams. Um, and I think you, you, you asked a question regarding learns. And it really prompted something. I had a conversation recently with, with Vice's uh, innovation officer. And I loved the way he framed uh, how we approach recruitment, for example. He said, we're talent agencies. We are a talent business. And I think that's equally applicable to the national. It's equally applicable to agency land. You know, it's so easy to forget whether we, we rise or fall on human capital. Uh, and so it's so important to bring the right talent on board. And I say half tongue in cheek that we here constitute a dysfunctional family. 
uh, were waves and strays from various backgrounds, from agency land, from traditional journalism backgrounds, uh, from experiential backgrounds. And I think the common thread bringing us together is the belief that there's a great opportunity for authentic storytelling, whatever form that takes, whether it's podcasts, whether it's digital, whether it's through experiential activation. And so what is, how does the commercial model work for Vice Media then? I changed my mind mid-question. <laughs> One, I'm more than happy to answer that. And two, it's, it's a great question because it's indicative of the, the transformational times we're living in. So just in the same way that newspapers have had to diversify away from traditional print advertising, same way Vice is constantly looking and examining its own business model. So back in the day, globally, you would have had, I guess what you ironically would now refer to as traditional di digital advertising, banner ads, etc. The reality is, is that that is flat at best. As we all know, Google and Facebook are eating the world when it comes to digital advertising revenues. So 80%, you need to, You can't compete yeah. with 80% going to Google and Facebook and yeah. digital advertising. That's right. So, so I think we we recognise that remains an important revenue stream for us. But in terms of growth, we're exploring other areas, most obviously branded content, um, and that's where we have both globally and in market here. I guess what I would frame as our secret weapon, which is virtue, our creative agency. Um, so, virtue is is has a symbiotic relationship with Vice, and I think the key thing is it allows us. Uh, to leverage Vice's capabilities as storytellers, production expertise, content expertise, to tell great brand stories. And again, authenticity underpinning it. And why I think that's in keeping with the zeitgeist is because I think there's a recognition that traditional advertising doesn't work anymore. If you look at the sheer volume of information that people are expected to consume daily, then shouting at them, whether that's in the form of a billboard, whether that's in the form of a traditional digital ad is increasingly ineffective so so brands really recognize now or, or certainly forward-thinking brands recognize they need to engage they need to create content of value and that's where the likes of us come in in terms of helping them tell that story and i think the the, the beautiful thing about us being that hybrid model is we can constantly choose who we work with so so we I've been in conversations to date where, for example, there's been a, an automotive opportunity, but it's increasingly clear as the conversation evolves that actually that potential advertiser wants the car front and center in a very overt way. Guys, go see a traditional creative agency. They'll do that for you. That's not us. You know, not from a we're too cool perspective, but because we generally don't believe it's impactful. Um, and to tie it back into to PR, it's no different to the way that a traditional press release is increasingly ineffective. And PR firms have to look at how best to tell stories on behalf of their clients. So it's much more like, I guess, the content marketing or a, a, a customer publishing agency to look, to look back in the... To a certain degree. I mean, virtue, to be frank, goes, goes far deeper so as far as brand strategy. So, it is, so um, you've got the ability to have a full service offering. Uh, let me give you just one quick example, um, which hopefully doesn't constitute a plug. We have built an entire content platform for Unilever. And it's a great example where the client was brave and said, we recognize that if we're going to have an authentic relationship with our consumers, we need to recognize that traditional notions of what constitutes Arab female beauty culture aren't valid. You know, if you, if you Google, for example, Arab female beauty on the net, you get the, the classic Kardashian stereotypical images. There's no real 
conversation and depth around that subject from a brand perspective. And they said, we actually want to be engaged in a conversation with our consumers in an authentic manner. So we've built an entire content platform for them called Mirror, quite literally Mirror. Um, 80% of the content on there is completely unbranded and we have complete ownership of, it's not Unilever dictating what we should be doing. Uh, and even when we carry that branded content, again, it's done in a manner that's engaging and certainly, and focused quite frankly on, on real women. And what's the response been? Uh, I'm biased, but I mean, in terms of audience and engagement, so do he's, so. he's a former PR man. It's going to be a great response. <laughs> it's always going to be great. Yeah, I, th I think it's, I mean, let's take something like Instagram, for example. Mirage followers are already up around the same level as Vice Arabia's. Um, 12 times in terms of the content we're producing are huge. And again, to be, to be, let me give one example of a subject matter we're tackling is, is taboo around periods. You know, in the Arab world, you know, you will go to, a woman will go to a store and, and be given sanitary pads in, in a bag as if it's, a, you know, a walk of shame. And that's something that's been tackled by our writers head on saying this is crazy. And I think it's Not important. everywhere in the Arab world, I must say. No, but it's certainly... <laughs> As an Arab woman. But yeah, yeah it is. It, but it's everywhere in the world. I mean, the issue of sanitary uh, pads and how they're, how they're sold and, and so forth and positioned, I think, in many parts of the world. But it's, it's a valid point. And it's also tackled. It's, it's, even if it's valid in the rest of the world, it's also something that's been debated at great length, whereas here traditionally, and certainly by brand, I mean, let's remember it's Unilever funding this content, hasn't been prepared to, in, to get involved in that conversation. And I think it's important to point out that in terms of the team we have working on that, they're all female Arabs under 25. So again, in keeping with that aim for authenticity. And the engagement seems to be good. I mean, it's perhaps, Mina, perhaps we can come to you because we were, we were speaking earlier a, a little bit about, about uh, the societal shift that we're seeing and how, you've, uh, how you have, uh, in the development of the National over the last couple of years, looked to adapt both content and, and obviously channel distribution to, to kind of reflect how society is changing and how you're engaging those communities. So rather as, you know, as, as Vice Media is, is, is kind of doing these commercial partnerships and engaging that way, you're taking a slightly different approach to that, right? Well, at the end of the day, we need to go to where our reader or our viewer is. And that's one of the impacts of the digital transformation that we're seeing in the media world. And so when we think any day, every day about a story that we have, we're thinking across five different outlets. So, of course, there's the website and the mobile site gets about 69% of our readership now. So people are all on their smartphones. Everybody knows the smartphone changed everything we do on a daily basis. So one is the mobile site. But then we also, of course, think about the print edition. We think about social media and our timelines on social media, particularly Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, are their own stream. And we have a whole thought process and editorial meetings thinking about that. In addition to that, we then think about our individual um, I don't know how to, to call them, I guess, products, whether they're the podcast, whether they're the individual longer form videos that we now do that, that were alien to most newspapers a decade ago. And so we think about that. And then the fifth element that we're always considering is how we are reaching our consumer directly or a reader directly and that's through whatsapp and going straight and notifications app notifications so we have our mobile app and we've added to that whatsapp and again when we first thought about developing our um you know daily content for whatsapp we were thinking is that too intrusive because to land on someone's screen 
uninvited at a, at a certain point is well i guess you're invited because they sign up they for sign it. up for the WhatsApp they sign up for it, it. Yeah. but you're uninvited in the sense of the timing you're choosing to come in so mm. for example if there's breaking news at midnight you have to make sure that this story is important enough to disturb someone at midnight because they've invited you to send the morning posts which is important but do they really want to be woken up at midnight if there's a coup somewhere i do, think have you, yes have you been waking people up at midnight recently uh, only in Sudan, the latest development in Sudan, <laughs> so we felt we're, we're international and important enough for the region that we should that we should send out an alert. But that, you know, coming to your point about thinking how society is changing, also what people's expectations are from a newspaper today and from a media outlet that they actually trust. And, you know, one of the things... I always think about is the community who are the community of readers of the national. And it is difficult because again, when you have the vast majority of your readership coming through social media or coming through search engines, they're not really coming to the national, they're coming to the topic. And so this idea of, you know, keywords and all the impact of looking at search engine optimization and so forth can make you lose the big picture. And the bigger picture is who is the community of the national readers and they're our core. And as Jason was talking about dwell times, but also, you know, sorts of topics we want to tackle because we think they're important for the national readers, that becomes the priority for us. And how society is changing, as you said, you know, it's amazing when there's, you know, Eid is coming around the corner, Ramadan is coming up, and then we have Eid. And we're already thinking about, okay, what are the traditions that we in the newsroom have that are different from each other to celebrate Eid? And suddenly that's something that appeals to our readers that we wouldn't have thought to do if we were all homogeneous. And that's one of the things that the UAE actually does give you because it is such a multicultural society. And so things like that where people are interested more and more and more about the different cultures that come together, but they they're, you know, they're celebrating eight together or Mother's Day or whatever it is. And those are not traditionally things newspapers would think to do, but are increasingly what people want to want to read about. Yeah. And Jason, presumably, you know, you your focus on on kind of youth culture takes you and must take you in some quite interesting place. I mean, highlights of the last year, what are some of the kind of what is it? What is it? What is a vice media story when it's kind of coming from <laughs> from your kind of team of creators? Who I'm looking at through this glass window out here. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll spin it slightly because I think Mina's completely right in terms of what what she referred to as as the the nationals community. You know, we we have to think audience, audience, audience. I think there's a danger of any media organisation sitting in the equivalent of an ivory tower and and celebrating work. I think the, the the beautiful thing about the era and now, as challenging as it is, is you've got analytics. You've got the ability to measure what's impacting, what's resonating. And again, not solely by reach. I think that's something I'm sure we agree on. I think that's, you know, you can get into clickbait world if you focus solely <laughs> on reach. You know, it is about other metrics like dwell times and, and, and creating impact in that manner. So I think... Our content's so diverse. I mean, I sat yesterday with the video production team. We're doing a piece on Bahraini cowboys. You know, who hey, were... that was our front cover for Weekend a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration. Well, obviously, video takes a long time to produce, so we've been there for some time. Symbiotic relationship already, clearly. Um, uh, I mean, I, I will. This isn't in the last year, but I, I, I will refer to Bill Arabi, our launch film. Um, so on one level, I could I could sit here and wax lyrical about, hey, yes, we won a Grand Prix at, at, at Dubai Lynx Festival Creativity in film for that. Do you know that what, what 
resonated with me so much and had such a profound impact to this day to the extent that um, I've asked for the quote to be placed on the wall in the office is one of the young Palestinian guys who featured in the film sent a message to one of our producers in the wake of, of the film being released uh, and I won't be as eloquent as he was but essentially said thank you so much this is the first time I felt any form of media has ever really captured the real me and allowed me to tell my story not their story for, you know, and using me as a vehicle in that regard and, and that for me is, you know, is, is where again we can talk about fantastic in the past 18 months since we launched we're reaching millions of Arab youth across the region but actually it's knowing that you're having a profound impact on an individual level shining a light on those stories that, that matters far more yeah it's a great story great story do you think <laughs> Mina do you do you uh you know when you when you kind of think about how you know the nationals higher purpose and how the the kind of contribution it makes to society and community i mean do you what, what how do you see that evolving over the coming years story of the region and i always say to people sitting in abu dhabi is our is our advantage that we can tell what's going on in the arab world from an arab vantage point and that is important equally if we're telling a political story a business story or a societal story culture I mean, culture is one of our biggest um, focus points in terms of not culture just high culture which is amazing because we have Louvre Abu Dhabi and uh, and, and yeah, similar amazing. institutions which is great and internationally resonates but also culture in terms of cultural um, developments you know we wrote a story for for women's day you know every march different media companies or even february start planning what do we do for women's day our main story was about the importance of getting tested for cervical cancer and the taboos around that and how do you approach it how do you talk about it? we have the story of two women that went through it and so forth and that was our way of reporting on women's day in addition to all the events that happen around the world but that was our main story and so changing perceptions but also telling the stories of of these women who who had um, been diagnosed with cervical cancer so stories like that are important for us but on the flip side, I think also one of the incredible things we've been able to do through the National is because we have a, a strong multimedia element is the ability to do videos and then build a story around it. We had two of our journalists recently in Syria, in Baguz, one of the last strongholds of ISIS. They spent 10 days there and they brought stories not only, of course, of the foreign fighters, which is what everybody is interested in, but also what it's like for people living in the area and the camps that have come up and what it means for the host communities and the communities that are having to suddenly welcome ISIS families in camps right next door. And so to be able to do that sort of coverage from the region, but also through journalists who have worked in the region for so long and not just swooping in for two, three days and then leaving and, and going and, and working working something completely different. So that's something I'm quite proud of. In terms of society, you know, it's um, it was incredible. We had a story that was about a school that provided assistance for children with special needs, and it was going to shut down. And so we did the story saying that these are the final um, students that are actually going to be in the school. It's shutting down. It doesn't have um, the resources to continue. And through that story, somebody actually came through and help pay for it and the school continued to be open and so they they literally came through us we made the connection between the school and this donor who remained anonymous and 
the day we found out it was going to stay open, it really did feel like, okay, we're having direct impact. And that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's, in, it's interesting when you look at the kind of, if, if you look globally and obviously uh, you, you look at uh, trust levels of media, and obviously media has always played an important role in society. Trust levels of media in the UAE are very high. And actually, if you look at, you know, Jason and my former employer, Edelman, the trust barometer this year said that media, media had risen even in the last year. So there's obviously a massively important role to play for people in this region to have it for having, you know, media outlets that they can rely on for, you know, news that reflects their needs. Do you, did you how do you, how do you feel about, is that a, is that a, is that a, burden to take forward or is that a is that a you know how is how do you you know is that a you know is that a trust is always going to be important of course but how do you view that as a kind of someone who is directing a you know a you know a very important news outlet in uh, media outlet in in, in Abu Dhabi it's a big responsibility responsibility for sure. that's the word I missed <laughs> um you know definitely something that we're very aware of we're also aware of the fact that there are a lot of misconceptions about the media in the Arab world where outsiders will often think that the national reflects the government's point of view. And I've literally had diplomats reach out to me and say, oh, you are focused on this. We didn't realize this was the view coming you know, from Abu Dhabi. And I said, this is the view from Abu Dhabi because we are situated here and we learn through here and our sources are here, but they're all, all over the world. We don't actually reflect the government. And sometimes it's the perception of the non-Emiratis or the non-Arabs that I'm having to work with much more than um, domestically. Having said that, I think, again, going back to trust, it is about perception. And the establishment, whatever that represents, is viewed differently, I believe, in the UAE than in other parts of the world. And so there is a trust here. There's a trust, and that trust is linked to competence. So we have to be competent. We have to be accurate. And I think the fact that it's actually risen this year is an indicator that people are tired of getting news through social media or through unknown sources because somebody sent a screenshot through their WhatsApp to their best friend. People are tired of that. They want to go back to stronger media outlets that they can actually trust, but that prove that they are accurate and that they're not going through clickbait and trying to go just for vast numbers. And they're also not just pushing a particular line. I mean, Jason, how do you view that from from the kind of vice media point of view? I mean, I think we're completely aligned, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a one of the challenges we faced when we first set up in market was this belief that Vice is a sensationalist brand, um, based on some of the content in in other markets. Uh, and I think the reality is is that it's you know it's it's not about being sensationalist for the sake of it. You know, it's about telling those true human authentic stories now uh, to 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 mina's point a a 20 year old in new jersey a 21 year old in manchester england is going to have very different interests to their equivalents in abu dhabi or in Riyadh. uh so if we'd taken the, the lazy borderline imperious approach of saying okay we're just going to replicate what we did in the states and what we've done in the uk i think that would be negligent I think it, it's you've completely got to root yourself in your audience in this region um, and develop those stories accordingly. And I think the great thing is that there is so much going on at a grassroots organic level that, that, that isn't being told regionally, but even more so doesn't get a chance to shine on the global stage. So the fact, for example, that our content is frequently picked up by our counterparts in France, in Germany, in the States, 
I think it's hugely important. We did a documentary here on off-roading in Abu Dhabi and I'm exaggerating to make the point, but I think if that had been in the hands of a traditional international news organisation, it could very easily have been done through the prism of, hey, look at these crazy Arab dudes just racing up and down <laughs> sand dunes. Whereas the vice approach is, who are these guys? What does it mean to them? Why are they doing this? And so my favourite footage in that film isn't anything to do with any action. It's literally when the guys are sitting around a campfire and again, one very eloquently says, I love being out here because I'm a city boy, but this makes me feel closer to God. You know, essentially we're from the desert and I feel like a deep connection. And that's got 3 million views now on our global site because we shot in Arabic. So Vice Arabia is Arabic only, but we also did a dual language version, did it in English. And so, so for me, there were potentially 3 million people around the globe who are being forced to challenge their own preconceptions uh, and, of course, misperceptions about the region and the people in it. And I think that's a really, really powerful vehicle in, it. And in our own small way. Hopefully, we're therefore a positive change agent. Yeah, that's great. Just a last, a last couple of questions I'd be interested in your take on. Obviously, both, both of you are journalists and, and have, you know, and, and Jason, you've obviously been on the other side of the fence as well, on the PR side of the fence. If you're looking at, you know, skills that you are hiring for now that you didn't, you didn't hire for a decade ago. Uh, what, how, how, is it, how has the world changed in your view now? The core skills stay the same. So somebody who has a nose for a good news story is going to have a nose for a good news story. But that, that's key. And also the ability to be uh, true to the story. So, you know, one of my pet peeves is somebody transcribes an interview and gets the quote wrong. Or if somebody's doing a subtitle and the person who's speaking doesn't speak in the most perfect English and they decide that they're going to subtitle it in perfect English. It drives me crazy. So that doesn't change. Um, but, but having said that, you're right. And in the last 10 years, what's expected of a journalist is to be able to visualize things that for a newspaper, you wouldn't have had to think that way. So today I'm looking for journalists that can think, okay, this is a great story. How am I going to think about, do I need photos for this? What's the video element for this? Could I possibly turn this into a podcast? So thinking through different dimensions of how you tell the story. And the other element is being able to, to let the voice of the, the person you're interviewing really come through. I think previously there was this idea of, especially in print journalism, rightly or wrongly, that they're telling the story, kind of what Jason was saying previously, that you're swooping and you're taking the subject to tell the story you want to tell. Almost have the headline before you go out to get the story, which is so wrong. And so absolutely getting much more curious uh, journalists to come out here and say, I don't know what the story is going to be. I think this is a really interesting development or trend. I'm going to go and then I'll let you know what the story is rather than deciding in advance what the story should be. Yeah, that, fantastic. 100% agree. So um, I'll uh, deliberately be a bit provocative because I think Mina's captured my sentiments incredibly well. And I'll, given we are Middle East PR Association podcast, I'll turn it on agencies instead and say agencies that don't evolve and there are many that still haven't will die. That's the reality because they aren't embracing these new forms of distribution. They aren't embracing these tools. And, and too few have genuine storytellers. You know, I think the, the idea, you know, the, the, the traditional notion of the press release factory, I mean, it, it wasn't great at the time and it deserved to die, quite frankly. Um, so I think agencies really need to look at their own model to see what's going to be effective in this era and to see the best way to tell stories on behalf of their clients. 
because I, I think that's few and far between now. Now we have the very quiet ladies from Marketeers in, in the room with us and they'll be the first to support that because again, where they've been able to carve a niche is through exactly doing that is technology is a tool. And yeah. I think there's a danger of shuffling the, the deck chairs on the Titanic with certain agencies in terms of dabbling and paying lip service to the notion of telling stories differently. And I think one of the things, Jason, you're, you're spot on because one of the things that really shocked me and lessons learned, I'd probably say my second lesson, I was shocked by the role PR agencies actually play here in terms of dealing with journalists and the way they treat journalists, the way they speak to journalists, but also they're not helping entities tell their stories. Like Jason said, they're not allowing them to tell their stories. They're actually saying, no, no, don't say anything. And I'm going to drip, drip, drip what I possibly can in order to maintain the contract. It is that transactional. And the reality is that a strong PR company is the one that's going to be able to tell the story of the entity and teach them how to tell their best stories because they're still going to need the support. They're going to need the management with relationship with journalists and so forth. But it's you're absolutely spot on. I think that's the one change that we really do need in this in this industry. I think you've, you've both obviously been looking over the desk at my last question, which was how can PR professionals and journalists work better than ever in today's world? <laughs> so well done. <laughs> yeah. it's, um, I'll, I'll add to it. And I, uh, it's actually provoked by a conversation with a, somebody from a creative agency which is and I'm talking now to individuals who, who genuinely want to improve as professionals break out of your bubble you know so so go and sit with with different kinds of storytellers and by that I don't mean million media you know artists are storytellers you know and, and and embrace technology I think that's critical as well you know really understand how technology can enable you to tell a story better it's such uh, a powerful tool and we're living this is what I mean about us living in a time of opportunity the ability to tell stories to a vast audience has never been bigger so you either you've got two options you either circle the wagons and say oh this is all a bit scary we're just going to keep on doing what we've always been doing or you say no actually we're going to be brave we're going to step out of our comfort zone I'm going to get immersed in technology I'm going to get immersed in the different forms of storytelling uh, and in that case, I think you're then talking about opportunity and a bright new era. The onus is on the individual to decide which camp they want to sit in. And you can tell the difference when you have journalists that are digital natives. So this works equally in journalism as it does in, in PR. When you have journalists that are digital natives and those that are trying to, to push back the tide. And we, one of the things I'm really proud of of the national is that 59% of our employees are under the age of 40. And they are, and not only the journalists, you know, everybody from um, the developers to, uh, you know, working in IT and otherwise. So when you have that kind of youth um, push throughout the institution that's been around for 11 years, but now we've turned it on its head. We have much younger, but all dynamic team, but also a team that's comfortable with technology, that, that that's the world they know and they're digital natives. And so therefore they can really bring it to life and think about how they can reach more people than ever before. Another final statistic from the national is 50% of our readership now online comes from outside of the UAE. And that would be impossible without our digital reach. Yeah, that's so powerful. It really is. Fantastic. I think we've run out of time, uh, but I'd like to thank you both, uh, Mina Al-Arabi and Jason Lever, for joining us today on the Metro Brief. Uh, and I think you're going to be joining us at the Metro Magis at the Louvre Abu Dhabi, which we're very excited about, 2nd of, 2nd of May. So thank you both very much. Thank you.